You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. A science story, huh? It was that golden moment because science was on my side. Hey, everybody, welcome to the Story Collider, where we bring you true personal stories about science. I am your host, Aaron Barker. And I'm your other host, Liz Neely. This week, we are presenting stories from two storytellers who got unexpected and potentially game-changing answers to something they'd been questioning for pretty much their whole lives. And this really resonates with me because I was diagnosed with ADHD just about two years ago now when I was 33. And yeah, I remember you telling me about that. I was so surprised. Well, thank you. <laughs> I feel like when you uh, have this type of thing for so long, you sort of develop different strategies and tricks, maybe without even thinking about it, to sort of compensate. So I had no idea because I always thought ADHD you know, meant hyperactive kids or impulsive kids. But one day I read this article, ADHD is different for women in the Atlantic by Maria Yagoda. And I thought, wow, this is about me. Uh-huh. <laughs> because it talked about how when women have ADHD, uh, it manifests a little differently. It manifests not necessarily in terms of hyperactivity, but in terms of like feeling scattered and disorganized. And just like you can't wrap your head around all of it. And that's what I was really feeling as Story Collider started to get bigger. And there were so Sorry. many more moving parts. <laughs> <laughs> Damn you for helping us be successful. <laughs> But after I was diagnosed, it it made me look back on everything a little bit differently. It made me kind of forgive myself a little bit more for those moments of disorganization. And even weirdly, I feel like it gave me a new appreciation for the way that I think because I was able to understand it for the first time. And I feel like maybe our storytellers today will feel some of that too. <laughs> Our first story is from T.C. Waysman. It was recorded in May 2019 at Centre Phi in Montreal, Quebec. The show was sponsored by Spectrum. When I was eight years old, my mom dressed me in my Sunday best, and I remember it was a really colorful, flowery dress, and it was my favorite dress. My mom packed me in the car and took me to the doctor's office because she wanted me to be tested for giftedness. You see, I wanted to be a doctor when I grew up, but there weren't many representations of black women doctors in the 70s. So my fierce mom wanted to do her best, and she wanted to give me any kind of a leg up that she could possibly give me. So we went to the doctor's office, and she explained to him her reasons why she thought that I was gifted. And he thought about it, and he looked at me, and he knew me well. And he said, you know, I have an interest in neuroscience. And I think your daughter might have something called Asperger's. And he used words like disorder, 
and social challenges and communication challenges. And I don't really know how much my mom understood at that time, but she made a decision that day that changed my, the rest of my life. We went out to the parking lot and I remember her getting down on my level and she said to me, you are very, very bright and nothing is ever going to change that. But we will never talk about this appointment again. We will not talk to your father or to your brothers or to your sister about this. I felt deep shame. I wasn't sure what I did wrong, but I knew that I hurt my mom in some way and I wasn't sure how to fix it. So I did what I thought was best. I never talked about it. Years went by and I rarely thought about that day. I didn't want to hurt mom. She was a hardworking woman and she would come home from work tired and she'd get into her moo dress, which had flowers on it, which was her favorite. And she'd make herself a cup of tea and sit down, and that was her joy. But I tell you what, any time I put on the Elvis record and I dropped the pin, Mom couldn't help herself. She would wiggle a little. She'd jiggle a little. She'd giggle a little. And she'd sashay into our living room, and we would have ourselves a good old-fashioned dance-off. And that was my mom. She was a phenomenal woman. When I think back, I know now why the teachers and my family missed the fact that I had Asperger's or what we now know is under the autism spectrum condition spectrum. It wasn't easy to catch it, especially in my case. I wasn't showing the usual social challenges and communication challenges. And because we're female, a lot of times we get passed in the diagnosis because we present differently than males. So I could see possibly why I wasn't really fitting into the understanding of ASC. But there were signs. I had repetitive behavior. And I remember a time in 1979, my friend Stacy Berghauser was having her 10th birthday party. And it was the 70s, so it was a disco party. And she invited her friends, and she invited her family, and her extended family. And we were having a great dance-off, and Stacy excitedly went up to her family and said, this is TC, she taught me how to do the hustle. And so that was it. They brought everybody into the living room, they cleared the center, and Stacy and I did the hustle together. And there was a lot of clapping and lots of noise and lots of laughter and more laughter and more laughter. And my 10-year-old self wasn't really sure if they were laughing with us or if they were laughing at us. As soon as the hustle was done, I made some excuse and I ran out of Stacy Berghauser's place and I never went back. I was embarrassed and I felt stupid and I had a heavy helping of anxiety and self-loathing. I didn't know then, but my 10-year-old self wasn't really sure how to understand this social cue. In February 25th, 2014, mom died of cancer. I was flying home that day from working with an organizational client in Edmonton. I'd just landed, and I'd gone to the mall to buy my mom a dress, what I knew would probably be her last dress. And I got the call from Dad, and I was in the mall, and I was devastated. I was really sad for my family. I was really crushed for me, but I was relieved for my mom because finally she was free. I wasn't sure what to make of it, 
And after a couple of years, I started to think about my life again and take stock of it. And somewhere I remembered that day at the doctor's office. And I thought to myself, could the doctor have been right? Could I have had Asperger's or autism? And then I looked at my beautiful daughter's life, Sunshine, and I thought, could Sunshine have had autism this whole time and I'd missed all the clues? So I decided that it was probably time for a diagnosis. And the reason for that was when I saw Sunshine's life in hindsight, I remembered when she was eight years old, there was a clue then. She went to play with her best friends, friends that she'd known since she was three. Basically, she'd known them almost all her life, and she was having really bad social anxiety. And I looked at her, and I thought at that time, hmm, I wonder if this is normal. And then I remember a time when she was 10. We were in the dentist's office, and the waiting room was packed with people. The sound was really low, but then they put a song on, and my daughter and I clapped our hands over our ears. We couldn't handle it. We had a sensory reaction to a high-pitched sound that was in the song itself. And I looked around and no one else was having this reaction. And I think somewhere deep inside, I put that away in my heart and in my mind, maybe to be discovered at a future time, that maybe there were signs. So I decided it was time for diagnosis. I phoned and interviewed many psychologists across British Columbia where I live. And I asked them just one question. Have you ever diagnosed an older black woman? You see, I was 48 at this point, and I'd been masking for a long time and masking very well, so I knew I was not going to be an easy case. I found one doctor, and he and I worked together, and on May 17, 2017, I was officially diagnosed. I was relieved for myself. I was very sad for the little girl who was asked to keep this a secret. And I was devastated for the child who tried to be a typical normal child and failed year after year, moment after moment, experience after experience. And then I looked at my daughter Sunshine's life and I thought, what does this mean? What does my diagnosis mean? What does it mean to her? Sunshine inspired me. She inspired me. At 18 years old, my daughter Sunshine moved to England and got a law degree on scholarship. And by the time she was 22 years old, she'd graduated at Radboud University in the Netherlands with a master's in human rights law. My daughter taught me that autism is not a diagnosis with a period at the end. Autism is being open to all the gifts that the spectrum can give you. Now, it's been two years since I've been diagnosed, and in that time, I've tried to stay busy. I co-founded a not-for-profit for, for near-diverse individuals all around the world. I've written academic papers on autism and higher education, and I sit on the board of the scientific journal Autism and Adulthood. I'm trying desperately to spend the rest of my life working to make sure that my community is well taken care of and well spoken for and has a voice. But really, I'm thinking about my mom. And I'm thinking about why she did what she did. And I fully understand why she did what she did now. She was protecting me like a mother bear. She knew it was going to be tough enough to be a black woman in the world. But how much tougher would it have been if I was a black woman with a near-diverse condition 
She had no idea, but she wasn't going to take a chance. And I love her for it. Two months ago, I turned 50. And now I have high social anxiety, as does my daughter. And this is something that's on our corner of the spectrum is very, very difficult. Being in front of you, for example, is very difficult for me right now. But I decided I was going to have a party. And I invited all the people whom I loved, and I wanted them to know that this party was for them. I wanted the people who came around and knew me when I was 20 and masking and support me and love me now, coming out as an autistic woman. I wanted them to know that I loved them. And at one point in the night, the band had to cheer for me and said, let's wish TC a happy 50th birthday. And I stood there, and I looked at my daughter, Sunshine, who I was trying to give all the self-love that I could possibly give to her so she knew that she was going to be okay as an autistic person. And to my husband, Dean, and all our friends were standing around with drinks in their hand. And I stood there in this red duster velvet jacket, which is my favorite. And I thought, this is my coming out party. This is me coming out as a 50-year-old black fierce woman soon to be a doctor, proud to be autistic. Thank you. That was T.C. Waysman. T.C. is the author of the book, 75 Traits of Great Leaders. She is an ICF-certified coach with 20 years of experience. She has a master's degree in leadership and training, and right now she's undertaking her doctoral degree in leadership. Inspired by her own late diagnosis with autism at 48 years old, she now focuses her research on how leaders, faculty, and staff can enhance outcomes for autistic students in higher education. She is the co-founder of a not-for-profit for for neurodiverse individuals. She speaks on autism-related topics, publishes literature reviews, and was recently appointed as an editorial board member for the new scientific journal, Autism in Adulthood. We loved working with Spectrum News on this show, um, spectrumnews.org. You can find out more there. But Ari and Misha, our producers who worked on the show, just came back so excited about these stories and Listening to TCs, it's easy to understand why. I love how this story not only talks about grappling with our own personal lives, but then also the legacy and how mothers and children help each other struggle, but then also find the beauty in the way we are. Absolutely. It's beautiful. Our next story today is from Craig Fay. It was recorded in April 2019 at the Burdock in Toronto. The theme that night was paths. So one of the first memories I ever had about school was sitting in grade two, and we were making clocks out of paper plates and cardboard so that we could learn how to tell time. And I remember this because I did not get it. (laughs) I did not understand it at all. I understood how the little hand could point to the hour that it was. That made perfect sense to me. I understood if the big hand pointed up, that meant o'clock. And if it pointed down, that meant 30. But everything in between made no... It was arbitrary positions on a circle that somehow represented time. And all the other kids were able to remember how those lines made up to 
to figure out time. And I did not get it. But that was fine for me at the time because I knew that all I had to do in order to know what time it was was look at my wrist, uh, press Garfield's ears so that his teeth popped open, and then there would be a nice digital display there saying exactly what time it is on normal numbers. If it's 3.47, a 3, a 4, and a 7, we're done. It's 3.47, no problem. That worked out fine. But that t telling time wasn't the only thing I was bad at. That same year in school, the teacher asked me to take the attendance down to the office, and I somehow got lost in a school with two hallways. Huh? I got to the I got to the office and when I went to go back, uh, all the doors looked the same, all the bulletin boards looked the same, and I wandered around that school for what felt like half an hour before a teacher finally found me near the gymnasium, which was nowhere near my class, and I was crying, and they they t took me back to class. I was also terrible with names; I couldn't remember names. We had some family friends, uh, and they they had, they had two boys, and I knew. That one was older, and I knew one was younger, and I knew which was older and which was younger, and I could tell them apart, but I could never remember which one's name was Kyle and which one's name was Dane. I couldn't keep them apart. It always confused me. About the only thing I was good at at this point in my life uh, was writing stories. Uh, I would sit in my room, and for hours... For hours at a time, I would just scrawl in big, messy, slanted letters across, misspelt words across blank pieces of paper, mostly cheap ripoffs of movies I'd seen and video games I played, but it just poured out of me because it made perfect sense, right? At any point in a story, you know exactly where you need to go, right? Because you know where you are. It's just what's happening, and then, and then, and then, until you're done. Right? It just poured out of me. But this one good thing, thing I was good at was so vastly overshadowed by the fact that I was terrible at math. I was so bad at it. I had to learn addition. And like most kids, I first learned with counting on my fingers, right? One and two is three, no problem. My problem was it never advanced past that, <laughs> okay? So I understood in theory how if you have one apple and two apples, you can put those together and you'd have more apples. But there was no inherent sense about how many that was. You'd have to count it up from scratch every single time. You can't memorize all those numbers. That's impossible. So I'd always say, I'd always say we have one apple and one, two, put them together, one, two, three apples, no problem. I can do it from scratch every time, not a problem. But very quickly, numbers started to get a little bigger and I ran out of fingers. <laughs> so I was asked to add things together like 67 and 54 and my mind would just go blank. For whatever reason, I just couldn't keep these numbers in my head. It was like as soon as a new one popped in, the old one would fall back out, right? It was like, I could maybe hold about three digits in my head at any one time. It was, it was, it's sort of like I was, I was writing on a chalkboard with one hand and erasing with the other as I went. It made it impossible. But I figured out that's okay. That's not a problem. What I can do is I'll just make sure I keep writing it down in the margins as I go. I'll add one column together, count it up on my fingers, carry the one, add the next column up, count it out on my fingers, and then, and then, and then. And it always worked. It wasn't a problem. It was slow, but it worked until we got to multiplication. <laughs> 
which I run what far run out of body parts to count. I couldn't do that anymore, and I couldn't do it in the in the margins. I couldn't come up with six groups of eight in the margins or anything like that. I'd finally run up against a wall where I absolutely just out of necessity had to memorize 144 numbers. That's 12 times 12, which I know now. Uh, <laughs> 144 different combinations of numbers, which for a kid who can't remember three digits is mind-blowing, right? But my parents wouldn't give up on me. I would sit there after dinner, and we'd sit there at the kitchen table, and they'd do flashcards at me, right, with all these multiplication questions on it. It's like, oh, three times four. What's three times four? What's two times eight? Seven times eight. And I would do this over and over for months and months and months to the point which my younger sister, who is still learning to count, knew her multiplication tables better than I did. Okay? But after, after months of that, finally, brute force ever, all of them were pounded into my head. I knew them. All except anything that multiplied to be 24. Six times four and three times eight were a mental block I could not get over for the life of me. My parents would sit there and be like, okay, Craig, three times eight. Nothing. Be like, Craig, three times eight is 24. Okay. <laughs> Craig, what's three times eight? Nothing. Craig, what's three times eight is 24. Okay. <laughs> Say it with us. Three times eight is 24. Three times eight is 24. Good. Craig, what's three times eight? Did not get it. This is not an exaggeration, by the way. This is exactly how it went. Uh, and if, but finally, after years and years and years, I finally got in there, uh, which is great. And what's really crazy is that almost 20 years after sitting at my parents' kitchen table, failing these cards over and over and over again, I found myself sitting at a desk behind my computer working as a mechanical engineer. <laughs> Yeah, how did that happen? <laughs> and to be honest, I had not asked myself that question at all. I hadn't even thought about that, uh, what made that change, until I was sitting there at my job working as a mechanical engineer, and I was taking some HR training at the time, and it was about serving people with disabilities. And what it said is, some people may suffer from learning disabilities, such as dyslexia or dyscalculia. And I'd heard of dyslexia before. I'd never heard of dyscalculia before. So I went on Wikipedia, and I looked it up, and there was a list of symptoms, which is a math learning disability, which symptoms include difficulty reading time on analog clocks, difficulty with directions and orienting yourself in north forward directions, <laughs> difficulty with face name recognition, difficulty with math, basic math concepts such as addition, multiplication, and mental arithmetic, as in difficulty with adding a multiplication and mental arithmetic. And finally, uh, may remember math concepts one day and forget them the next, just like three times eight is 24. I can know it one day and forget the next. And I sat there reading this list of symptoms, just my mind blown, because all of a sudden, all of these uh, quirky individual childhood things weren't that anymore. There was a list of symptoms that explained so much about my life. I sent this list to my dad, and he was like, yep, 
That's you. Like, <laughs> right? And, and it is weird, because up until that point, I hadn't really thought about what had taken me from this kid that struggled with math so much to be someone who could become a mechanical engineer, a typically math-heavy field. Uh, and then I started thinking about it, and I realized nothing had actually changed. I was still that guy. You know what I mean? I, I wish I could sit here and tell you that there was suddenly a moment where math started making sense to me, where everything clicked and I understood it, but that wouldn't be true. To this day, I struggle with remembering numbers. When I copy out a phone number, I do it two or three digits at a time because I can't remember all of them at once. Okay? When I go to split a tab at the bar, it's impossible, especially when I've had a few drinks. <laughs> You know what I mean? And to this day, I still feel as though three times eight and six times four, I know them, but I feel like they live in a different part of my brain. It's like, if anybody's ever been in a family where for some reason you keep that one item of food in a different part of the house than the kitchen, you're like, we keep our beans in the basement. <laughs> Why? That's exactly what it is like. Every time I think about three times eight, I feel myself going down those stairs to access that information. It's still very hard. And, and I, I still struggle with face name recognition. I use GPS to get everywhere. But then I realized what changed wasn't me. It was math. As I progressed through school, I realized that it became less and less about knowing numbers and became more and more about problem solving. You know what I mean? Calculus and algebra were just like stories that I always used to read. Right? It was, you figured out where you were, and you figured out logically where you need to go from there, and then, and then, and then. Compared to the other kids who'd always looked at a question and known the answers, they'd never had to figure it out before. They got frustrated. They quit. Whereas for me, this was the same as counting it out on my fingers. Just keep going. The, the grudgery, the drudgery, the work of just solving it out. And I realized that that over the years, all of these efforts I had gone into solving the problem of me being bad at math had actually made me better at math problem solving. Yeah. And they started letting me use calculators. <laughs> Thank you very much, guys. That was Craig Fay. Craig is a Toronto-based engineer turned stand-up comedian who has appeared on CBC's Laugh Out Loud. The Story Collider is grateful for the support of the Tiffany & Co. Foundation and of Science Sandbox, a Simons Foundation initiative dedicated to engaging everyone with the process of science. The Story Collider is led by me, Artistic Director Aaron Barker. And me, Executive Director Liz Neely. With help from Deputy Director Nissa Greenberg, Operations Support Manager Lindsay Cooper, and the rest of our amazing team. The stories featured in today's podcast were from shows produced by the amazing Misha Gajewski, by Ari Daniel and Jesse Hildebrand. The podcast is edited by our podcast team, which includes Zoe Saunders, Jen Chen, and Gwen Hogan. The theme music is by Ghost. Special thanks to the Fi Center and to Burdock Brewery for hosting our shows. And to Adderall for keeping Story Glider going. <laughs> thanks for listening. <laughs>